0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want to visit with you this morning and and just speak to you uh, concerning dads. I've been in a series of the Spirit and I just wanted to make sure, because I got to talk to the moms this year. And I wanted to talk to the dads this year. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel. In the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 10. Thanks, Daniel. 2 Samuel chapter 10. It's an Old Testament passage. Some of you may not be very familiar with it. But it has something that's very important for us to hear today. And I want you to be aware of it. Second Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading. There's quite a few verses here that I want to read. But I want you to stay up with me. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. So David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. When David was on the run, that's what happened. David was on the run, and Nahash, he, he was kind to David while he was kind of without a man without a country, and he wanted to pay him back. So he sent, so David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. And when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanun their their lord, do you think that David is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David really sent them to explore the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Anun seized David's men and he shaved off half of each man's beard and he cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks. Now you can just imagine that picture. Okay. Yeah, there are parts in the Bible that are above G rating. That's one of them. And he sent them away. And when David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. Just like you kind of giggled when I told you about the, them cutting off their backside of their garments, that humiliation was real. Let me tell you, in our world today, if there's one individual that has that people have sought to humiliate, that is the man in our culture. The humiliation of men has been on the agenda for a long time. Just watch a sitcom and see how stupid every dad really is or how dumb and disconnected men are. Try to humiliate them. So the king said, stay in Jericho until your beards have grown back and then come back. Hopefully, he said, until you sew up the backside of your garments. And when the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zobah, which are mercenaries, as well as the king of Maekah with 1,000 a, with a men and also 12,000 men from Tob. And on hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. Now, let me tell you something. You don't know anything about Joab. This dude's a stud, okay? That's exactly what you would. He was just a tough dude. He made some mistakes along the way, but he was a tough guy. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of the city gate. And while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Maacah were were by themselves in the open country. So what you have is outside the city, you have all the 20,000 men. You have all the men of of the Ammonites and you have 20,000 men on both sides. So your flanks are covered and you're covered up front because David's army is standing here. So they're surrounded on every side. So Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. You can't attack unless you can protect your flank. And so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and he deployed them against the Iranians. He put them up front. They're going to do the front the frontal assault. And he put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites so they were going to protect the flanks. And Joab said, "If the Iranians are too strong for me, then you come over to my rescue." But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. And here's where I really want to pick it up, verse 12. Joab standing in front of his army. These guys are surrounded by thousands and thousands of the enemy, mercenaries. And Joab says these words, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people. And the cities of our God and the Lord will do what is good in his sight. Four words that I want to just bring to your attention this morning. Be strong and fight bravely. Everybody say that with me. Be strong and fight bravely. One more time. Be strong and fight bravely. You know, we live in a world where fewer and fewer people can agree on what it means to be a man. Even fewer can agree and understand what it means to be a man of God. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. And today, I just want to bring a few thoughts to your attention. And I want to speak not just to guys and dads, but for every person in this room, especially the guys, to understand what a real man really looks like. What a man of God is supposed to be. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you with those four words. To be strong and to fight bravely. Every man in this room, I want you to hear that. Be strong and fight bravely. I know it's hard for you to pay attention when you know wings are waiting outside, but be strong and fight bravely. What makes a man? Well, too many people in our culture have no idea. They don't understand what it really means to be a man. Everybody knows that the truth is, is that many people have become deliberately confused on what it means to be a man or even a woman. It's a deliberate confusion. They refuse to define the difference between a man and a woman. They deny biological reality and they assume that gender is as fluid as a person's mood when they wake up in the morning. Can I just tell you this morning, and I want you to hear me, because this is where I stand, this is where our church stands. That is a mental delusion, and I refuse to participate in that type of thinking. Biology is not bigotry. Biology does not mean I hate people. Biology does not mean that I can't tell the difference. Biology simply is biology. Biology. It takes more than putting on makeup and putting on a dress to be a woman. And in the same way, it takes more than cutting your hair short, putting on a pair of blue jeans, and growing a little facial hair to make you a man. Just because you have a beard doesn't make you a man. Let me take it a step further. Man is not just identified by physical anatomy or the Y chromosome, but men are defined by something more. I'm talking about real men. I'm talking about men that the Bible will talk about. Men like Joab, the men in his army, the men that stood against odds, the men who who would walk onto a battlefield and be strong and fight bravely. Those are the real men that the Bible depicts that we're supposed to pattern ourselves after. And they have this unique quality. And here's what the quality is. That quality is called masculinity. Y'all didn't know what you were going to get this Father's Day, did you? Called masculinity. Now, there's a misconception about that idea. Some people think in our culture that masculinity is when you drink the blood of a deer or you you bite off the head of a fish or you sleep in the carcass of some bear or you live 30 days in the Alaskan wilderness. Some people think that masculinity is a guy that can drink a six-pack of beer in one setting. Bull! Tough. Or the guy that can sleep with as many women as he wants to. They think that that's what being masculine is. Can I tell you, that has nothing to do with masculinity. You know what that is? That's tent on a window that hides the weakness inside the car. That's not what masculinity is. All of that stuff that we think that our culture has told us, this is what it takes to be a man. You're getting fooled, dude. You're getting fooled. That has nothing to do with being a man. Masculinity, here's a definition you can work with. Masculinity is the humble, glad assumption of God-given responsibility. You want to be a man? Step up and be, be responsible. That's what a man is. He takes it, he handles it, and he's responsible for it. He doesn't pass the buck. He doesn't blame somebody else. He doesn't blame uh, 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 his girlfriend or his wife. He doesn't blame his employer. He doesn't blame his mom or his dad that was or wasn't there. He steps up and he says, I will humbly accept the God-given responsibility that I have as a man. You see, God ordained roles for men. He ordained roles, and he created a job description for every man, and that's what masculinity does. It accepts those roles and accepts those requirements. And when you accept those things, when you become become that type of man who accepts those responsibilities, here's what happens, and this is what every man's looking for. So listen, guys, I know what you're looking for because I'm the same as you. When you begin to accept that responsibility, authority and respect begin to flow in your direction. But when you shirk that responsibility, authority and respect begin to flee from your life. Nobody respects some deadbeat dad, right? That's not not the kind of guy that you want to say, hey, would you teach me how to raise my kids? Nobody expects some guy that would lay a hand on a woman. That's not the kind of guy, hey man, show me what it what it takes to have a good marriage. Right? You don't want those people speaking in your life because that's not a man. That's not being masculine. It means holding the responsibility because I will accept the God given responsibilities that I have. That's what it means to really be a man. And when you look in the scriptures, that's exactly how it becomes defined. So it starts with a resume. How many of you have a resume? How many of you young guys have a resume? Everybody's got a resume, right? I can just tell you this. Everybody in this room's got a resume. you got a resume. And most of the time we think of those resumes, that is exactly what, 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 uh, what, what it means when we accept, we, I, these are my skills. Have you noticed whenever men and women, when they're introducing somebody, they meet somebody new, that the conversation is different when it starts? So when you talk to a woman and women get together, oh, how many kids do you have? Where did you know, Where do you live? What What all do you like? Oh, I like. Have you watched this? How they make this, this soup? This is the most amazing. I mean, that, that's how women, you know, they talk about those things. What's the first question a, a man is going to get asked? What do you do? Ain't that right? You meet somebody new? Hey, Bob. Hey, John. How you doing? Hey, Bob. What do you do now? They don't ask about your kids. Hey Bob, I just want to know how's your how's your how's your kids. Hey, you don't hear that? Hey Bob, what you do, man? Well, you know, it's what I do when you go down the list, you know? Because the reason why is because men speak this language of responsibility. What do you do? Well, I'm responsible to, you know, Fill out papers. I'm responsible to weld pipe. I'm responsible to do this. And so we we name off all of our skills. But here's the, here's the most important thing is that when you, when you do that in the world, we assume that skills are what help define our responsibilities. But really, it's not skills. Virtues are what really define you. Skills will help you win the job, but virtue will help you win in life. The character that you have is what helps you win in life. It's not your job skill. Because somebody can be taught to do what you do, but nobody can be you. And that's what character and integrity and virtue are. And great men don't focus upon the skills of their resume. Great men focus upon the virtues in their resume. And that was the message of this pre-battle meeting. Joab's walking up and down the front lines of these guys. They got their spears and their swords and their helmets and their shields, and every, they're ready to go. And, Jake, and, and Joab is giving them this, this pre-battle deal. I mean, I can just see it's like Braveheart all over again. Except they weren't wearing dresses. He was, he was encouraging his army, and he says, Be strong, guys. Be strong. Fight bravely. They didn't know how it was going to turn out because what did he say? And God's going to do what is right. Because their their hope wasn't in the skills of their fighting. Their hope wasn't in the skill of how how to swing a sword. Their hope was in the God that was good and he would do what was right. And the outcome of the battle would be God's. And so he says, guys, be strong and fight bravely. Be strong. Now, what does that really mean? Well, be strong really kind of means be tough. Be tough. There's a variety of toughness in our world today. And a lot of that depends on where you live. We live in America and we have first world problems. Here's how, here's how first world problems go. Here's how, here's how tough we are in America. If you can't get really good cell service, you are really, it bothers you. Am I not telling the truth? How many of you called Spectrum within the last week? How many of you were like, man, is there an outage somewhere? How many of you reset your router any this week? We did at the church four times. Chris was a nervous wreck. Pastor, do you have internet? No, Chris, I don't. I'm going to reset the router. Four times. Chris's job requires connection. That's a first world issue, you know. But man, that'll unravel us. Your phone's not working, man. I ain't got no bars. Man, what's a problem? This is terrible. Can't look at my tic-tac. I I know what it is. I'm just messing with you. First word problem is when you get in your car and your air conditioner is not as cold as you want it to be. Man. I don't know how, how, how much longer I can take this. It, that's, I mean, that's tough. you got to be tough to sit there when the air is blowing on you and it's not cold, cold. But you know what third world problems are? You know what toughness is around the world? I mean, that's really the, that's toughness in our culture. But you know what toughness is? Toughness is the Syrian family that I read about this this week that actually buried their 16-year-old son alive in order to keep him from being taken by ISIS that would come and recruit him and force him to go into their army. Of course, they dug him back up. They didn't kill him. They were protecting him. But the only way they could do that was to bury him and say, don't move until we come get you. Toughness is the Afghani who, this week I read it and I looked it up, makes $33 a month. Yeah, but pastor, they eat goat. It doesn't matter. That's tough. That's tough. Can I just say this too? In America, if you make minimum wage, you're pretty stinking tough because to know how to do life on just minimum wage, you're stinking tough. I know some single parents, moms or dads, you're you're pretty tough to try to manage life and juggle schedules and to work schedules and stuff like that's toughness. And, and that's what, when he says be strong, he says be tough, guys. Be tough. Know what that is and be tough. And for the Christian believer, toughness means being cross-tough. There's this misnomer in, in our culture That Christians, especially Christian guys, are these light loafered, pencil necked little, I don't know, passive guys that get beat up by everybody and they run from everything. Oh, oh no, don't get me. I'm a Christian. Tell you, the toughest people I know and have ever read about were Christians. Oh, come on, Pastor. I'm telling you the truth. The reason why I know that is because they're the ones who were willing to be nailed on a cross for somebody else. Isn't that where it started? It started with Jesus, toughest man I ever knew, willing to take the the cross and the suffering and the pain. He was cross tough. What does that mean? Look in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. The scripture says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus is not some little walk in the flowers. Oh, let me tell you something. Following Jesus requires being strong and being tough. And when life hands you hell on a platter, you have to deal with it. And you stand and say, My God shall deliver me from all of these things because my faith is in him. That's being cross tough. I carry my cross when things don't go my way. Contrary to the popular culture, toughness isn't measured by how successful you are in defending yourself. Toughness is measured by how willing you are, are to sacrifice yourself for the sake of other people. That's toughness. Joab told his army, he said, Guys, be strong. And what did he follow that with? For the sake of our people for your wife and for your kids and for your grandparents your parents for for your for your whole family be strong be tough you're fighting not just for you you're fighting for them guys listen to me do it for your family that's what it means to be tough not serving God because, man, I just don't want to go to hell. I want to talk about me. I want, to, I want to serve God because I want to lead my family. I'd rather bleed than my wife or, or my kids. I'd rather, I'd rather lose a, a leg or lose an arm. Man, that's, that's what he's telling this army. He's saying, look, guys, you've got to be tough. And that happens in a few ways. And I'm going to cruise through this real quick. You have to have tough love. It takes tough love. Strong men have tough love. Strong men know that loving others when they least expect it and they least deserve it—deserve it is what it means to be a tough, strong guy. That's tough because tough love is sacrificial. That means you're willing to be nailed to the cross for somebody else's sins. Tough love is unconditional. It's not dictated by performance. No matter what mood your wife is in that day, you love anyway, dude. No matter how irritating and crazy your kids are acting, you love them anyway. That's tough love. You love them when they love you back, and you love them when they don't even like you. You love them because you're tough in your love. You will not be moved off of that point. I love you. Tough love is long-lasting. It is committed to the words... Till death do us part. It is committed to the words for better or worse. It is committed to the words for richer or poorer. It is not some puppy love bachelor type of love. It is love that's committed for a lifetime. Me and you forever. That's tough love. And to be that kind of strong man, you got to be tough in your love. Tough love is what sets men apart from boys. It really is. There's not one person, one man in this room, no family in this room lives in ideal circumstances. You think, man, Pastor, my my life's just different than yours. It's messed up. My own issues. Let me tell you something. Everybody's got issues. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can tell you right now, everybody in this room's got issues. Tough love sets men apart from boys because it's the challenges that, that come in our life and not the comforts that allow us to grow. Do you remember that? It's the challenges that keep you as a man and as a, as a, as a woman of God from getting soft. Years ago, I heard the story I was reading and read this came across this information. That back in the Middle Ages, sixteenth, 16th, fifteenth, and sixteenth centuries, in Italy, the the Borgia family ran that 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 nation, that country. They they were corrupt. They were sinful. It was marred by war. It was marred by murder and bloodshed. I mean, Italy was a mess in the 15th and 16th century. It was a terrible place to live. But out of all of that trouble and, and challenge, you know what happened? Leonardo da Vinci. Raphael and the Renaissance came out of Italy in those terrible, challenging times. At the same time in Switzerland, they were known as the country of brotherly peace. For 500 years, they had lived in peace and democracy. Everything was smooth in Switzerland. And you know what came out of that period of Switzerland? The cuckoo clock. Your challenges will determine your results. If you want to be that tough, strong person, you got to walk through some heat. So don't despise the heat right now. That's what I want you to hear. Don't, don't say, Oh God, get me out of this. No, 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 no. Say God, make me tough. Make me strong. I want to be strong. Be strong. He says, tough love, Demands tough decisions. Demands tough conversations. That's why tough men do everything that they can do and then they let God do only what He can do. The secret is knowing which is which. That's the secret. I look back in my life, those people that I respect the most, they are the ones who have pushed me and tried to push me past my own limits. Those are the ones I respect. That's what Joab was doing. Guys, be strong. Be strong. God's made you for this moment. You don't just have to have tough love. You have to have tough skin. Some of you are getting a little tougher skin just this morning hearing me preach. Being strong as a man is not just about tough love. It's tough skin. My prayer over my kids has always been this. Lord, keep them, give them tender hearts and tough skin. Because in our culture, it has left our society with such thin-skinned people. That they're offended by everything. You know what the writer of Proverbs says? Proverbs 19.11. This is a great verse for husbands and wives. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. So if you have no patience, guess what? You are not wise. Don't even act like you. A man's wisdom gives him patience. But listen to the second part. It is his glory to overlook and offense. Boy, there's a great thing to have a, a husband-wife devotion over. If you get set off by any little thing that just kind of goes against your grain, you need to learn this verse. You need tough skin, fella. Quit acting like some softy, get some skin about you. If your wife does something or says something or your kids do something or somebody in the church or the pastor preaches and he challenges you and he calls you on the carpet, get some tough skin, be strong. Be strong, be able to take the hit and not have a glass jaw where you fall the first time somebody punches you. Tough love and tough skin. And then a, a strong man is willing to die for, die himself willing to die to, their, to themselves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, the guys like to camp on the verses before. Wives, submit to your husbands. If you've quoted that verse to your wife, you should repent right now. Because number one, you pull that out of context. Number two, see number one. Wives, submit to your husbands. I am the man of the house. Now you're a worm hiding behind a verse. You see, before that, in the last part of Ephesians chapter 4, the last verse says, And submit to one another. So that's the context. So, wives, you should submit, which means to honor the role of your husband that was given by God. And you know what the role of the husband is? To love his wife as Christ loved the church. And if you can't love your wife as Christ loved the church, what right do you have to say, submit to me? I knew I'd get some applause from the ladies. Yeah, come on, Pastor Preach. Amen. Did you hear that? Amen, Pastor I have a theory. Here is my theory. I have a theory that all of you, including myself, are intrinsically selfish. All of us are by nature selfish. Yes, you, my friend. All of us. We want what we want because that's what we want. And we want you to know what we want so that you can give me what I want. We're all selfish. And so what you have to do is you have to understand that God has created something to cure the disease of selfish. It's called marriage. It's great. He developed this all on his own. In the recesses of time, God developed marriage to cure you, my friend, from selfishness. When you got married, here's what happened. That solo bed that you had and you could spread out like this. You started that bed. And now you lay like this, on the edge, like right there, because she's spread out over the bed like this. Got an amen over here? <laughs> hey, about to feel the anointing on that. She's the one that says, "You snore, I can't sleep." Maybe so. But I've recorded you too. And as I'm laying on my six inches of the bed, I can hear you over there doing your thing, running your motor. Marriage will cure your selfish bed sleeping and he'll cure your sleep. You you don't just you don't just share the bed. You suddenly share a sink. How many of you, I know when Shannon and I first got married, we lived in a little tiny house that had one, it was a one-holder. It was a one-bathroom deal. And it had one sink in it. And that dude, I mean, you had to say shift in order for everybody to be able to get out and squeeze out the bathroom. It was one of those. On Sunday morning, trying to get ready for church, my friend, I learned how to get dressed and brush my teeth in like 45 seconds because she said, I need to sink. (laughs) Well, I need to take a shower. You can't shower while I'm doing my hair. It'll all fall out. Well, honey, go outside and use the water hose. Honey, it's 30 degrees outside. I don't care my hair. Yes, of course. You learn to share. Marriage forces you to share. Not just the sink, you share the car. You even go beyond that. We were on a trip one time. We're in the hotel room. Shannon pulls out her stuff. She says, "Uh uh-oh. I said, oh, whatever. I left my toothbrush. Now, Now, let me just say, there's a lot of things that You know, I'll share. Man, that's coming in my mouth, man. Well, I kiss her. I know, but that's different, man. That's different. Can I borrow your toothbrush? Yes. Just boil it off when you get done. Some of y'all still sharing that same toothbrush. Oh, I like this one. This is good. Yeah, I got it broke in for you. Here, try it. Let me tell you, you can be selfish and be married, but you cannot be selfish and be happily married. Because selfish, marriage cures selfishness. A true, a true marriage, a strong man focuses on meeting the needs of his spouse. He, he, he gives up his life. And when you do that, you find fulfillment in yourself as a man and you find fulfillment in your marriage. To be honest, that is what it means to be tough. You hear me, guys? That's what being tough and a strong man is all about. When you give up yourself for somebody else, that's tough. I'll deal with it, baby. I'll deal with it for you. God teaches tough love. He teaches tough skin. He teaches us how to give up our life. We do that because marriage helps us. Here's the thing. Let me just say this, and I know I'm running out of time, but I'm going to close here in just a second. That's why playing house is always a bad idea. Can I just step into this bucket real quick? That's why playing playing married is always a bad idea because, bro, you're not married. Living together without being married is basically the same as saying, God, I refuse to allow you to root selfishness out of my life. Because when I just live with her, I can do what I want to do. Hey, can I borrow your toothbrush? Heck no. Go get your own. You can do whatever you want to do. You see, living together like that is not a sign of strength in a relationship. It's a sign of weakness because it symbolizes their selfishness between the two parties that they're not willing to give up and say, "You know what, I give my life to you." Are y'all with me? There's a generation in our world that needs to hear that desperately. Everybody that's here and you're single,'re you're not and let me I'm telling you. You're setting yourself up for, the the statistics show that you are 60% more likely if you do get married to have a divorce because you've been playing game. You've been playing house. God doesn't do planets. He said, look, make the decision and say yes and then give yourself up. That's what being married's about. It's not being selfish anymore. I give myself to you and you give yourself to me. And then we can come together. And it is blessings. It is blessing beyond blessing. You'll never know that extreme joy of just, hey, this is awesome. But if you're just playing house, you'll never experience that. Because nobody's going to be willing. they Neither one's willing to not be selfish. And see, here's the deal. If marriage doesn't cure selfishness, that's why God gives us kids. I mean, come on. Lord, this is like a double whammy, you know? For us men, I mean, if you can survive marriage, God says, watch this. Poof. Honey, I'm pregnant. you What? this is kind of funny. I don't know why this happened, but I want you to think of the word diaper right now. No, no. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it. Look at the word diaper in your mind, or you can write it on a, write it on. A, some of you are, those are bad memories. You're just thinking about sorry, diaper. I want you to reverse it. Do you know what diaper spelled backwards means? It is is repaid. Have you ever noticed that? Diaper spells backwards is R E P A I D, repaid. God is repaying you for everything that you ever did when you were a kid when you have children. Everything. Man, I'm glad I survived my childhood. God says, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm glad you did so I can give you some kids. <laughs> this is going to be fantastic. Everything. God gives us kids. That's Hey, that's about being tough. Be strong, Joab said. Be strong, be tough. Tough love, tough skin. Be willing to die for yourself. And it also means have tough faith. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Be strong in who? In the Lord. I've seen a lot of men melt into a puddle of nothing when life comes at them 100%. Let me be real personal with you for just a moment. Daniel, if you get ready to come. This past week, Shannon and I did something that we honestly had hoped we would never have to do. We drove down to Dallas, pulled into a parking lot. And above the door was a sign that said, Texas Oncology. Can I just tell you, my heart was hurting. That's not the kind of place that I'd ever wanted to visit. I never did understand until I had to go in there with my wife and sit down in a chair in a waiting room filled with people whose skin was pale and their eyes were dark circles, had no hair, wearing things on their head, came in in wheelchairs, I sit there and I said, God, if you don't help us, we can't do this. I've seen men who were strong, they claimed everything man, this is good. This is all, man. God, he's going to help me through all this stuff. I'm going to walk through. I'm I'm living victorious. And then, boom, life happens. You didn't ask for it. You don't expect it. It just comes. Man, it's right in your face. Boom. And all of that other stuff, the noise, all of a sudden, you've got one tunnel. That's all you see. Can I just tell you, It's one thing to talk to somebody that's going through it and to be that person that's sitting in that room. I know people have good intentions, and that's fine. And I pray that God would continue to give us faith, and He is. But I want you to hear me. It wasn't, as we sat there in that room and we saw her doctor, it wasn't all the Christian cliches and sermon notes that helped me in that moment. Because 18 years ago, we'd sat in a doctor's office in the same type of situation. Life happened, nothing you can do about it. No good news was coming from that doctor. And as the doctor last week concluded her little talk, very encouraging to us, brought the reality to our attention. I looked at Dr. Wong and I said, just want you to know we are people of faith. And we trust your abilities, but we trust in the great physician. I know that you have tools at your disposal. But our healing will come from Him. Because here's actually what Shannon and I are already walking in. We've already been healed. We just have to learn how to walk in that healing. Can I get an amen? And that's how anybody who is sick, you have to say I am healed. Jesus has already done his work. That's already done. He's not going to come back and do it again. It's already done. And you just have to, I am healed. So Lord, give me the strength of the, let the Holy Spirit continue to confirm that in me every day. And that brings me to my last part. You don't just, you're not just strong, but you have to fight bravely. Over the last two months, every morning when we wake up, it's not some joy. Oh, praise God. You know the first thing that comes against us? Your diagnosis. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And you know what I do? I don't lay there in bed and wallow in that diagnosis. And think about, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? And that's what happens in life. You, you get some bad news or you get some challenges. And the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, that's going to hit you because the devil knows how to, how to destroy your day. If he can destroy today, he'll destroy tomorrow. And if you let him to do it, he'll destroy your life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wreck you. And every problem you have, your marriage or your kids or sickness or health, whatever it might be, he will, he will try to wreck you and, and starts right here in your mind. So what you do is you immediately pull out that armor say, no, 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 not today. (laughs) I'm going to fight. I ain't no sissy. I'm not going to lay in bed and let the devil beat me up. I'm going to get up and i'm going to grab the word and i'm going to go lay it on the table with a cup of coffee and i'm going to start be, i'm going to start reading and encouraging my soul i'm going to stand there and quote the word of god back to the enemy and say no here's what the scripture says the scripture says that i am the temple of the holy ghost and if i am the temple of the holy ghost no sickness no sin no deformity can live in my body i have been healed because his stripe says i am i have healed he's already done it and I've got to live in, and he is healing. And that's what you do. You start fighting. You fight bravely. You walk onto the battlefield and you say, I don't care what's surrounding me. I'm going to fight. Guys, strong men fight and they fight the way God wants them to fight. They put on the helmet of salvation. They walk in that. They walk in knowing that I am who God says I am, not what the world says I am. I'm not what my parents have said that I am. I'm who God says I am. I've been saved and delivered from my life. I messed up in the past, but I'm not that way anymore. I'm a different person. I'm a different man. I'm a different husband. I'm a different father. I put on peace. I walk in peace. When I walk into the room, people don't get up tight and they say, Oh great. He's here. I bring peace to the places that I visit. My shoes have peace. I have the belt of truth. I walk in truth. I don't tell lies. I don't tell stories. I don't make myself to be something that I'm not. I just tell the truth. I walk in truth. I have a blessed breastplate of righteousness. I walk right. I have the shield of faith. That should be the first thing that the darts of the enemy should hit is your faith. Uh uh-uh, I have tough faith. I have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You fight bravely. I close with this story. In 160 AD, there was a man, his name was Polycarp. Yeah, his mom and dad had a a problem with the name, so I I get it, Polycarp. He was actually a, a disciple of John. Not John the Baptist, but John, the, the author of the book, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know, John, he was, John was his mentor when he was just young. In 160, during the reign of Nero, they brought him in. or Not during, during Nero. During Tiberius, I think. They brought him in to the Colosseum. And that was when they were just taking Christians and just pulling them apart. They pulled Polycarp in because of his faith in God. And they wanted to feed him to the lions. But the Caesar said, no, 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 we're not going to feed him to the lions. Let's burn him to the stake. So they, in the middle of the Colosseum with tens of thousands of people surrounding and watching this display of horror, they tie Polycarp's arms behind his back around a wooden post and they put fire or or, uh, build a fire around his feet and they light him on fire. The soldiers said, Polycarp, if you will just recant your faith, then we will put the fire out. We will let you go. You can do whatever, just as long as you recant your faith. Here's here's a quote. Here's his words. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king to save myself? (sighs) Strong and brave. As the fire began to burn around this saint of God, he began to lift his head and pray and sing praises to the Lord. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of this is how I fight my battles, right? What they noticed is that Polycarp was not being burned by the fire. The fire was not consuming him. He stood there living in the middle of the flame. Kind of sounds like the fourth man that was there with with those three Hebrew children, the fourth man was standing there right there next to Polycarp. Finally, one of the soldiers, as Polycarp would keep praying and singing and was not dying in the middle of the fire, they took a spear and they shoved it into, into his chest and killed him. That is a man who knows what it means to be brave and strong. When it comes to manhood, Jesus is our true north. He's our true north. And you can always look to find him. He'll be in the same place. He's the same God. Jesus is your pattern. Jesus is our pattern, guys. So listen to the words. Be strong and fight bravely and you're going to win. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you allowed me to say and share to these guys today. I pray that, Lord, that you would instill this into our heart. Before we go and we pick up a, Basket of wings, here's what I want to ask you guys real quick. How many of you men in this room? Whether you're a father or not, it doesn't matter. How many of you men in this room would say, Pastor, I heard your what you said today? I and, and I not only heard what you said, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me about who I needed to be as a man. Some things maybe I need to change, maybe some things that I need to improve to be that man. And you'd say, I'm committed. I'm committed. I You may not be perfect, but you're committed to the, to the, to the fact that I'm going to be that sh- strong and I'm going to fight bravely. And that's my testimony to do so before God and, 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 and the angels of heaven, I'm going to raise my hand. And I'm going to say, I'm committed to be that man. How many of you men in this room would raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. How many men in this room? Married or not, doesn't matter. Single, it doesn't matter. Father, it doesn't matter. How many of you men in the room would raise your hand? Keep your hand up. Come on, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Be brave. Be brave. Raise your hand. I'm committed to do that. Don't raise your hand if you're not committed because God's looking right now. He sees you. Don't just throw it up because your neighbor's doing it. Keep your hand up. I'm going to be that man. Men with your hands raised right now, keep them up. I want you to begin to pray that prayer with me and say, Lord, help me to be strong in faith, to be strong in love, to give my life sacrificially. Would you just pray that prayer right now as I pray over you? Father, I pray that every man in this room, Lord God, every man, Lord, every young man, an old man, Lord, who no matter where they are in life, what season they live in, Lord, they would be that guy. That they would be strong in their faith. They would be strong, Lord God, leaders in their home. That they would be strong, Lord God, to love, Lord, when things did not love them back, Lord, to to stand firm. God, help them to be strong. Help them to fight the good fight, Lord, so that when they have finished their race, Lord, they will be accepted. And, Lord God, they'll see the victory, Lord, that you bring into their life. Father, bless these guys, Lord God, with the courage, Lord, to stand strong and to be faithful, Lord, every day. Give them, Lord God, the words to say, Lord, when there are no words, Lord, in the room. God, give them, Lord God, the love, Lord, that it takes, Lord, to live married and to love children the way they need to be loved. God, give us the faith that it takes not to just start the race, but to finish the race. I pray, God, that you would help all of these men Let us be, Lord God, a generation of strong men who fight bravely. Bless them and their families in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. God bless you. Stand with me today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.